Alright, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to the second part of the Bizzlecast Sports Update for late summer of 2016. Uh, Matt and I, um, Bizzlecast 61, in the first part of the update, covered the Olympics. Um, and now we're going to get a little bit deeper on shit here. Uh, we're going to get a little m- more deep on sports culture and what it says about our culture in general. The superhuman spectacle of superstar athletes from uh, today's mind-blowing Olympic performers to the roided-up baseball players of the 90s. Uh, the core part of this podcast and what's going to make it really compelling for you guys I think is we talk a lot about racism and race dynamics in sports but also the growing diversity in sports you know you hear stories even in 2016 of fans using racism to taunt opponents to get them kicked out of games or just to taunt them Um, but it seems that there might actually be pretty good racial relations within American athletes if not the fans themselves I've speculated in the past going back to Bizzlecast 3 which is my original Bizzlecast sports podcast that it's sort of like being soldiers in the trenches in a war you know you're so dependent on one another every day at such a high level that regardless of your background you just get over it and learn to accept each other and uh, we talk about the four major American sports plus soccer um, especially soccer and not just that I love soccer but I really think we're about to hit sort of the singularity of soccer maybe another five to ten years I could even see 15 to 20 but it's not far away where that sport I think is going to rock it up to the front and, uh, you know, sports being the ultimate American meritocracy. I mean, it, it is in some ways the ultimate manifestation, both good and bad, of the American dream, which is a thesis I've been exploring for a while and which we continue here. Um, on a positive note, uh, as bad as uh, some, some of the, the racial violence has been in the last couple of years, uh, there's a growing activism among athletes led by LeBron James and certainly the Obama administration. Uh, lending a hand as much as it can, uh, you know, having to deal with so many politics. Obama has really talked about these issues a lot, and I speculate that that has allowed LeBron and other athletes to, um, especially African-American athletes, to be more forthright about their opinions. It also helps in the NBA that have a very progressive commissioner in Adam Silver. And then we end with a, a little fun bit uh, where Matt talks about, you know, which superheroes would be which super athletes. And uh, yes, Aquaman is the water boy, just a tease, but some more crazy creative ones that you guys are really going to enjoy because sports is a part of nerd culture or is a type of nerd culture, I should say, and a lot of nerds that you wouldn't think actually do like sports, and so... Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. We um, are sort of in the middle of a conversation. When we start, we're talking about podcasters and and the great Bill Simmons. And we start from there and jump into some, you know, pretty uh, intense sports issues. So enjoy the podcast. And here we go. I mean, Simmons is really the only national sports uh, figure who just openly spends half his time talking about his home teams and yet still is the most listened to podcast by like a wide margin you know um i don't know how he gets away with it i agree with you he's not a great writer but i think no he's a great writer i just a lot of his reporting is based on just what he watches on tv and let me let me let me rephrase let me rephrase this he's not your classic great sports writer he's a great cultural writer and that was that was his revolution and honestly the bizzlecast wouldn't be the bizzle without this without the bs report you know no he is a 
he's changed the game for sure. I respect the hell out of him. I wish he actually went to games and went into locker rooms a little bit more often, but he's kind of created yeah, he's too an, busy. He's got an no. Empire. He's created he's an another way of of writing about sports that unfortunately too many people have kind of copied, which is a problem. But I mean, you know, I I respect the hell out of Bill Simmons, and clearly he's found a voice that's incredibly effective because he has millions of Twitter followers and whatnot, yeah. um, and pe- and people love his stuff. I'm not sure I would call him a journalist. That's all. I I'd call right, him a writer. He's right. a great writer. He's a published author. I mean, yeah. No, it's interesting. Yeah, that is an interesting point that he doesn't. I mean, the only real like like on site thing he ever did was when he was on the ABC ESPN uh, basketball team for a year or two or whatever. Yeah, he was, and I'm not sure he actually liked that all that much. No, it, he didn't. He didn't like it. Um, and he doesn't really like to travel. And it's sort of the opposite of Chris Hardwick on the Nerdist podcast, who yeah. has a million TV shows and is constantly on tour doing right. stand-up and other comedy things and still manages to put out like three podcasts a week. And he's got his he's got like 40 podcasts, I believe, in the Nerdist Network. Something um, like that. We're, yeah, we're up against it, man. <laughs> we're, we're, we're fighting forty podcasts just in the Nerdist Network. Yeah, we um, are. We are throwing a bottle, a message in a bottle, into a sea filled with messi- <laughs> messages in bottles. So, so okay. So this is a great bridge. Um, uh, so, uh, and then we'll go we'll go back to, to high school sports, youth sports, football, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is, is there a connection between your love of nerd stuff and your love of sports, or is it just as my theory is about us is that a lot of nerds, or more than you would think, uh, nerds like sports because a it's like a different outlet that's not a t- typical nerd outlet, but b it is something you can nerd out on if that makes sense, right? Between statistics. Sure. And the drama of the players. I mean, it really is just like a movie that just plays out over the course of a whole season, right? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, there is something, there is a definite connection of, in all likelihood, I am never going to actually meet somebody who can fly or lift up a car. But (laughs) I could meet somebody who could hit a baseball 450 feet that's thrown at 95 miles an hour. Or I can meet somebody who could cover 100 yards in less than 10 seconds, yeah. you know, or, or somebody who could, I mean, run 26.2 miles faster than anybody else in the world. I can run 15 miles, and it sucks. How, how these, like, Ethiopians and Kenyans can year after year just run 26.2, and it doesn't seem to affect them. Athletes are, in some respects, just in terms of physical ability, not necessarily in terms of morals or ethics or anything like that, are as close to superheroes as we have in the real world. And there is something mesmerizing and almost escapist in watching somebody do something so far beyond my physical abilities. And and that is exactly why both Major League Baseball and the public at large – put their head in the sand during the Bonds, McGuire, uh, Sosa era because those guys really looked and acted like superheroes on the field, right? And they saved baseball. I mean, you got to remember, this came they right... They saved baseball. That's, yeah. This came just a year or two after the baseball strike in the early 90s that nobody talks about anymore. That almost actually. killed... Yeah, 94. That almost killed Major League Baseball. I mean, Major mm-hmm. League Baseball 
was running a risk of becoming what the NHL is now, where it's just grossly underperforming compared to all the other big four sports. Sure. But the Bonds, I'm sorry, the Maguire Sosa home run race brought baseball back into public light. I went to a high holiday service. I don't remember if it was Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, or Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement. And the the sermon, which some people have joked that this is the Super Bowl of sermons, is these ones, <laughs> yep. was about... Yom Kippur especially, yeah. Yeah, um, that's from a movie called Keeping the Faith. That's not that good, but I liked that analogy. Oh, well, is it the one with Ben Stiller and Ed Norton? Yeah, Ed Norton. It's problematic. It's also funny, whatever. I like it. Or I um, liked it. I haven't seen it since it came out. Kind yeah. Of like... Anyway. Who was the woman in that? Sorry. Who um, was the... Who was the woman? Not Cameron Diaz. It was... No, uh, that was my first instinct, too, is that it's Cameron Diaz. I'll look it up while I'm talking. Anyway, this... I'll look it up and you keep talking. The sermon... uh, I think it was Jenna Elfman. Um, The the sermon this rabbi gave was about this particular competition between Sosa and McGuire and what it represented for America and maybe even what lessons Jews could learn from it, which is too bad because in retrospect, both of these guys were probably cheating almost definitely cheating to do this we didn't care at the time do we probably care now which is why neither of these guys are in the hall of fame and maybe never will be um but yeah uh, you know the superhumanness the spectacle of watching these guys just slug homer after homer after homer every summer and you know captured the attention of the country and brought baseball back to prominence at a moment when it was really at the risk of dying in the same way that the Bird-Magic-Johnson rivalry of the 80s yep. restored an NBA that was on the verge of going bankrupt because the NBA in the late 70s was really in a bad place. Cocaine had just about killed it. Um, I mean, there was really cocaine abuse was rampant. Okay. People weren't watching. Can I bridge here? This is a perfect bridge. This yeah. is sooner than I was going to bridge, but this is the bridge. So in 1970s, you, as you pointed out, cocaine was threatening to kill basketball. You couldn't even see the games live half the time. You had to watch reruns of the games late, right? Yeah, we um, wanted to broadcast it. I mean, right. The Celtics and the Lakers won every year, or at least the Celtics won every year, basically. So you had that problem. Um, actually, Dr. J w- uh, p- predated Bird and Magic as restoring I- interest in the game. It wasn't the same, but that no, was the, really important. It was the Bird, the Bird Johnson thing. I, right. Jackie McMullen wrote a wonderful book about them called When the Game Was Ours. If you've never read it, this is for listeners too. I highly recommend it. It's. I am looking at it on my bookshelf right now. That's hilarious. You mentioned that. My dad gave it to me a couple weeks ago, and I haven't read it yet. It's terrific. It's Jesus. really, 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 really good. I highly recommend it. All right, so let me just set this up, though. So, But Dr. J brought Flash to, to the NBA for the first yeah. time. And, in fact, if he had played NBA the whole time and not ABA, th- that transition could have happened sooner in terms of the NBA becoming – really a, a, something that had um, an appeal factor you couldn't get in the other sports. And one of them is the teams are small. You can see everybody's faces. They tend to have a lot of personality. Right. The coach is, is like just, a, you know, is very important and often a big personality in the, co- the great coaches. And it's something you can't get in the hockey or football where there's a million players and they're all behind masks and you don't know, you know. And, and mm-hmm. for the most part, football and hockey players are horrible interviews. Oh, oh, um, we'll, we'll maybe get back later to, you know, uh, file away, you know, who, who do you like interviewing, who do not like interviewing generally. But point being, the 1970s, basketball was struggling. 
football was sneakily starting to come along because the Super Bowl had been established at yeah. that point. But it, you know, and other you had than, the the rise of the steel curtain. The right, you know, steel curtain. The, you, you had Joe Namath. You had you know they they started having celebrities as well in the late sixties. Um, people don't know this from like 1920 until the late sixties, hockey had six teams and mm-hmm. they're called the original six. Yep. Uh, so hockey is the most impossible sport to compare championships to because there was literally a 50 year period where the Detroit Red Wings, the New York Rangers, Boston Bruins, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, Montreal Canadiens, and the Chicago Blackhawks were all yep. over there. And now in the late sixties, they added what they call the second sex, one of which is my beloved Flyers. Yep. Um, I believe the other teams, I don't have this in front of me, were Pittsburgh, Buffalo, um, and uh, a few others. <laughs> and that really pushed it forward, especially when you had a team like Philly, you know, within eight years of its existence, had won two Stanley Cups. And, you know, and Philly is not considered a major hockey town, even though there was no hockey here before the late 60s. So hockey was sneakily, you know, moving forward in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. But in 19, you know, in the 60s and 70s, the, and we've talked about this, uh, three most popular sports in America were baseball, boxing, and yes, horse racing. So let's take horse racing out of the equation because that, you know, uh, that, that dropped off the map you know, first, even though they still get pretty good ratings for the Derby. Yeah, and so forth. in the last bunch of years, horse racing, I think, has made a pretty big resurgence. You had Smarty Jones, who almost won it. You had Who's American from Pennsylvania. Who's from Philly, yeah, you had American Pharaoh, who did win, you know, the, tri- uh, the tr- uh, Triple Crown um, and then won the, the uh, Breeders' Cup as well. So, I mean, last 10 years, last, I would say last 15 years, it's come back. I feel like in the 90s, people didn't care about it, horse racing quite as much. Right. But keep going. Go ahead. Okay. So fast forward to now, all right? And stop me if any of these diagnoses are, are off point. So horse racing, definitely pushed to the side. Boxing, really pushed to the side. I'm going to come back to this. Baseball seems to be pushed to the side. Hockey has actually had steady growth, although it maybe has hit a ceiling a little bit. Basketball is at an all-time high because they're about to renegotiate a multi-trillion dollar uh, cable or uh, network cable deal yeah. uh, for the league. And so guys like LeBron are going to start getting paid like $50 million a year or something. And then football is football. Now, baseball has really bad national rankings. Uh, ratings, I'm sorry, TV ratings, even the playoffs, but it has spectacular local ratings. And so as you pointed out, I believe you said baseball has more money than NBA and NHL combined. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so for, for a sport that hardly gets covered on ESPN and that gets almost no national attention, but stadiums are selling out all over the place and they're making record profits. In Philly, they're also about to negotiate a new deal with Comcast for the Phillies, that's going to be worth in the billions, yeah. um, which is unbelievable for a single team, even in Philadelphia. Boxing, you know, is really a niche sport, but it's still generating enough money via pay-per-view to pay guys like, you know, Mayweather and Pacquiao, you know, $50 million a match. So what's going on with, with, with all this? And, and football players get paid hardly anything compared to other athletes. Yeah. And, and football is the biggest sport in the, on the, in the globe other than the, the FIFA uh, conglomerate, which is not a fair comparison because FIFA is made up of a million leagues. Um, so w- w- 
Matt, wh- wh- where is this all going? I mean, it, it, let me put it this way. Has boxing and baseball not dropped off as much as the critics are saying? And on the uh, conversely, uh, the NBA and the NFL not as you know amazingly um, at a high an amazingly high peak as we'd be led to believe. All right. Well, the first uh, issue I would take in kind of what you've been saying is the yeah. idea that the NHL has been steadily growing. No, the NHL has been a clusterfuck for the last fifteen years. They have had multiple work stoppages, player strikes, lockouts shortened seasons and every time that happens nhl drifts further behind uh, the popularity of other sports it becomes more and more niche it becomes more and more clustered in just a couple of parts of the country it becomes more and more uh, la- you know not interesting to grand swaths of the country that's fine that's fine but the top 10 to 15 markets are making bank i mean the flyers sure. make so much money the rangers make so much money the bruins make some yes they need to like chop the league in half and the strikes are horrible but from a sheer money perspective hockey's doing pretty well it might be doing well for players and individual teams as a league it it makes a tenth of what the nfl makes um, the nfl is still the best it's still and its growth. Its model keeps growing. Like, wait, hold on. Define the best in terms of the amount of revenue generated by the league um, of the Big Four, and maybe in the world even. The NFL generates more profit each season than anybody else, and it keeps generating more each year. Um, so, if you don't like NFL Commissioner uh, Roger Goodell, and I don't, you might be shit out of luck because as You're long fired. as he's what? <laughs> well, I'm, fi- I'm firing. I'm ESPN, and you're Bill Simmons. I just fired you. <laughs> yeah, but the point is, it's not likely to change unless the NFL, uh, you know, starts to lose money or this g- model seems to stop growing. If he keeps making owners every year, the owners are going to n- keep, let him keep his job, even if he is kind of totalitarian and doesn't seem to have his priorities straight in how he runs the day-to-day con- you know, stuff with this league. And all the things you just mentioned and all the successes it had, feel free to add to this list, are all in spite of A, regular domestic abuse, B, DUIs and drug usage, uh, C, um, PED usage, D, arguably stupid but still you know um uh a news uh paper uh sorry headline grabbing things like deflategate and and and, uh, spygate and bountygate and so forth so there are all these controversies and it's unclear whether the american public really cares i mean even in ray rice it's not really clear if that was just a media driven thing not saying I mean, we should have all been caring. I cared, uh, but you know, I mean, and then and then and then hold on, and then you look at the game, and you can add to this list. You have constant rule adjustment. You know, I mean, you keep having rules adjusted. People tend not to like any of the rule adjustment. You know, I mean, the new kickoff format, that the the point after discussion. You know, like what should the point after be like? How should that work? You know, protecting the receivers and quarterbacks to an insane degree in hopes that they won't get killed. But everyone wearing you know fifty pounds of really heavy pads and helmet, they launch themselves like missiles at each other. So yeah. That, nullifies any of these rule changes so with all of this shit going on and i'll add one final thing onto that which is 
despite their best efforts, people around the world still could give two shits about football. Yeah. So, with all those things, Matt, I ask you, has or will it soon peak the sport of football? Oh, and you, and you add concussions, of course, and, and how that's affecting youth sports. I mean, the NFL is going to keep making tons of money in terms of sheer dollars, but from a growth standpoint, it seems to me that it is ebbing a little bit. I would say I, I agree. I mean, it's hard to call a, a league that made $13 billion, which is what the NFL did last year. By comparison, just real quick, Major League Baseball, $9.5 billion, the NBA, $4.8 billion, NHL, $3.7 billion. The Premiership in England is the highest. Yes. $5.3 billion. Can so, I, wait, can I, I'm sorry, can I jump in? Yeah. I just need to jump in because you were disparaging hockey, which is totally fine because I have plenty of problems with hockey. But my point about hockey before and my point about these sports now are there are a lot of companies, like huge, like Forbes 100 companies that have huge revenues and whose stocks are incredibly valuable. But when you look right. at their net profit margin, it's like a tiny fraction of the money they take in. So what I'm saying is, yes, hockey is a tenth of football, but they're not trying to really be more than a tenth of football. And if they can be two tenths of football, that's a huge gain. I've heard that hockey's profit margin, which is what I was trying to say, has actually been better than you would expect over the past few years. Not the total profits, the profit margin. And that's what I'm talking about with football. Are they going to make more in, in actual dollars every year? Yes. But the margins, it seems to me, are going to go down. Sorry, go ahead. You might be right. My concern is that the NHL has not proven it can consistently stay alive for more than four years or so before there's another... But people keep coming back. More than baseball, people keep coming back to hockey. People keep coming back, but I Let's jump back to football. Let's jump back to football. So football, the thing that's really, I think, eventually affected is concussions because we are seeing a diminishing in the interest in both young, like Pop Warner football and high school football because people are afraid of the damage that kids are doing to their brains when they're young. Um I'll give you some statistics from the National Federation of High Schools. Sure. Football is still the highest, most popular sport in the country. 2015 to 2016, 1.085 million people playing it. Closest thing to it, outdoor track, 1.077 million. But compared with 2011 to 12, so over the last five seasons, 12,000 fewer kids played high school football than uh in last year than they did five years ago and that is with the exception of wrestling which you know peaked at 280,000 five years ago the only sport that didn't gain or stay pretty much the same over the last five years are football and wrestling now you have to take some of this with a grain of salt these numbers track boys and girls playing and obviously a sport like softball or tennis or volleyball going to have a ton of girl, and soccer going to have a ton of girls playing whereas in football female players at the high school level are not unheard of but they are very very uncommon but it does seem like there is a general decreasing track of high school football where other sports are growing soccer gained 34,000 people over the last 5 years lacrosse 22,000 more track 33,000 more volleyball 23,000 more and a lot of these are sports played at the same season that 
football is. I mean, cross country gained 19,000 athletes over the last five years. That's a false sport. Soccer is usually a false sport. So you are seeing this redistribution of high school football players leaving to go play other sports. Um, and people tend to specialize when younger and younger these days. So if you're playing baseball, it's possible you're playing baseball year round. That's not a good thing. People should play multiple sports. It's better for you. Coaches like to at the college level like to see high school athletes that do different things. Yeah, but you are seeing specialization younger and younger. So yeah, well, look at like a guy like uh, like Russell Wilson, right? I, mean, I, I don't know if he could be a professional, you know, major league player, but he could definitely play AAA baseball if he had followed that path. He was drafted in baseball. Yeah, he had a baseball shot. Team drafted him. I think more as a gimmick than anything else. But if he hadn't declared for football, I think he would have played minor league ball to be for sure. Um, yeah, and then you have you got guys who are track people in college who play. I mean, Allen Iverson was an amazing quarterback. He was like a Michael Vick style lefty yeah. running quarterback. Um, I don't think. I, I mean, even for compared to Vick, Iverson's even a little smaller than Vick. I'm not sure he could he could have made it, but he could have played it. So, and some some of these guys are playing football, basketball, and baseball, or some combination. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and yes, it's it's better for you physically to play different sports year round. It's better for you mentally, so you're not getting hung up. It, like for example, in the back of Russell Wilson's head, maybe he always knew he was going to do football, but having baseball was like a nice thing to fall back on. Um, all of that is great. Um, it seems though that athletes are still pl- from certain sports are still coming from certain parts of the country, right? I yeah. mean, baseball players, um, pitchers in particular, but baseball players are often from the middle of the country, um, or like Western PA, you know, which is really the middle of the country. Um, and, and football players are definitely from the middle of the country in the South. Basketball players, obviously, mostly all from uh, urban areas. Yeah. Um, and then hockey players are not Canada, from this country. Northeast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Northeast, yeah. Minnesota, Europe, Canada. Russia. Um, in part because Canada has national junior level hockey leagues that right. really become feeders for right. the NHL. Right. To your, just to real quick uh, give a, a, a fantastic example of athletes who do multiple things, Jim Thorpe played fo- professional football, professional baseball, professional basketball, and was an Olympic t- gold medalist in the pentathlon and decathlon in 1912. Yeah. And he played lacrosse. You know, and you know, this is one of the greatest athletes of all time. And apparently he, according to Wikipedia, was even a ballroom dancing intercollegiate champion at one point. So you can be great at, you know, spectacular at one sport and still be good at other sports. You know, there's a kid, uh, you know, I, one of the towns I cover is a town on the Cape called Falmouth. Uh, They have a pitcher who has verbally committed to Boston College for baseball. He's a, he's a great pitcher and a great hitter. He is also a quarterback on the football team and is very, very committed to, you know, helping them do as well as they can in football. You know, you don't have to specialize. It's worse for you. You know, it's why little kids are getting Tommy John surgery because they're blowing out their elbows. Yes. 
Bookmark you sports. I want to maybe finish on that before the fun okay. stuff. Um, but in terms of the makeup of the sports, of the, the, the people in the sports, so football has gotten progressively more and more black in the last few decades, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it, what is it, maybe two-thirds black, one-third white? Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's one of those weird things where it seems like by position it changes. It's all by position. Right, linemen. Offensive linemen tend to be white, not all yeah. of them. Quarterbacks, obviously white. Running backs, always black. Wide receivers, 80% Most, black. Mostly black. D-linemen, D-line black. black. I, yeah, linebackers is a combination. Linebackers might be the most diverse, actually. Yeah. Um, and, and defensive then, backs yeah. tend to be also yeah. African-American. And I'm not supporting any of this. This is a problem. But but then you had, you do have safeties like John Lynch and so forth. Sure. Um, uh, there are counterexamples to all of this, but it is a problem. Let me, I just want to run through the sports comparatively, and then you can jump in on football or any of them. So baseball has a huge problem of lack of black athletes. Now, oh, yeah. it's hard for me to completely um, understand this because, again, with localization, I only watch the Phillies. We've had an extremely diverse team now for like 15, 20 sure. years. I mean, we had Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins win yeah. back-to-back Great MVPs. Great players, terrific players. Yeah, um, and... Uh, um, and, and so, you know, the Phillies have done a great job. Now we've got a ton of Latin players. You know, the, the, the Latino yeah. influx has been great for the league in so many ways. Um, so it's getting diverse that way. Hockey's not getting racially diverse, but it is getting increasingly nationally di- diverse. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. Baseball. I mean, it's dream. I mean, the, in- the right. inclusion of Asian athletes is also right. The Asians and the Latinos. That, that's what I was kind of getting at. Yeah. And then, um, and then one last one, basketball. Really, the ratio is exactly the same as when we were growing up. I mean, it's 80% black people, and most of the 20% of the white athletes outside of Dirk and a couple others are bench guys, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, you can come in on any of that. I wrote a column about that a couple of years ago when um, uh, the, that jackass, that racist guy who used to run the Clippers. Um, Donald Sterling. Yeah, and he went off on his tirade, and I did some research, and – the, of the top 20 selling jerseys in the NBA, 19 are players with at least partial African-American hair, uh, ancestry. And I looked at like the top six in you know, six basic categories like scoring, blocks, rebounds, assists. And it was about 85% uh, players who, with at least partial African-American ancestry. So it is really the best players in the NBA for the most part are black. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. That yeah. is the state of the NBA. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, but but even athletes who are a quarter black or half black, like Steph Curry, are, are some of the best in the league. It's right. like even Blake Griffin. Like you could almost sell that that Blake Griffin. Part I think one aunt, one parent is white and the other is Afro Haitian. Right. Um, but you know, whatever. Keep going. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my my point is, uh, you know, to. Uh, do all the sports have demographic problems? Do a few sports have demographic problems? Oh, also, man, the more specific question for you. In your time covering sports, I know you're not doing major league stuff, but you are covering important and very important stuff, like you talk about the baseball league in Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. Would you say, very roughly, without naming names or specifics, you don't even have to name specific sports, in your experience as a sports reporter, are sports more racist or less racist than they appear to be? In terms of in terms of like what goes on with players and 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 you know ownership and so forth, or is it just it's sport to sport basically? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to make a general assum- uh, comment. Well, can, okay, like let me, that. Let me, can I give you a specific example? Let me yeah. give you a specific example. So, 
football being traditionally a white sport, but now being mostly a black sport by sheer numbers. Right. Although most coaches are still white, and they they have a rule for this called the Rooney Rule, which no one obeys about hiring black coaches or at least interviewing black coaches. Yep. So whatever. But the, so the, the point is, most of these white boys are coming from the south, you know, or rural Midwest or the center of the country. Mm-hmm. They like country music. They talk about God. Yeah. They're openly a conservative and, and Republican in some cases. Yeah. Um, and yet, you don't hear that much about racism in the locker room um, between black players and white players. Now, I've speculated it's because the black players are also from the middle of the country and tend to be very religious and even conservative. I mean, football Sometimes. players... T- Football players talk about God more than all the other sports combined. I mean, yeah, some of that's because the NFL has marketed itself as a Christian league. I mean, no, no, but you just listen to post game stuff. I mean, you know, when interviewing a baseball player post game, interviewing a hockey player post game, occasionally they'll mention God, but football players always mention God. I mean, yeah. it's you know, maybe that's a pressure thing. Maybe that's the thing that unites the locker rooms. Um, any thoughts about this? About how the despite all the horrible things happening. Happening in and out of the NFL with players in the league, that racism within the the locker room seems not to be a huge problem. Go ahead. I think it probably exists. I, I think, for the most part, team. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't spend a ton of time in locker rooms. Most of the interviews. Is it like the military thing where it's like? You may come from a racist background, but when you're in the trenches and, and you depending on one another to save each other's lives, even in football, you know, um, that, that it's one of those, you know, you become brothers in the trenches thing. Because that's all I can think of. Yeah, I think it's some of that. I think it's also – I'm not quite sure how to put this. If white people are using, say, a slur word um, – and I'm not going to say it on the air because I'm – feel gross when I use that word, which I almost never do. And black people and white people are both using it in a locker room and everybody is actually friends with each other. I can you're sort of about see the N- Wait, you're talking about the N-word? Yeah. Okay. You can say that. You can say the N-word. People yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, I can sort of see a scenario in which if everybody is friends with everybody else and everybody really does believe they're fighting for each other – and everybody is using the same that word as just part of their discourse. Which was the whole, I'm sorry, being an Eagles fan, this was the whole Riley Cooper situation. Yeah. And why a lot of his black teammates actually stood up for him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say, the team, one of the teams that I covered in Oklahoma, the player who I heard use that word the most was a black kid. And he, some of his better friends on the team were, you know, he was a back and his, he was very close with a run it with a quarterback because the two of them kind of were the tandem running the offense. And as far as I could tell, he never felt, you know, discriminated against. Now I never exactly asked him that, but it certainly seemed like he fit in pretty well with the team. And it seemed like this team that had plenty of black kids and plenty of white kids and it's Oklahoma. So a lot of kids were also of partial native American ancestry because that state, that's a thing. Yeah. It seemed like everybody, for the most part, got along, and nobody really felt like they were being picked on because yeah. of their racial background. There are very few black hockey players, but their teammates are extremely um, defensive of them. I mean, it, if there's racism going on in the crowd or whatever, yeah. like the white hockey players rally around the black players and will and will rip the crowd and media. And I mean, they're they're. 
part of this just is that racism in Canada just isn't as intense as it is here. But right. I, I do know for a fact having or had a Europe. number of and we yeah. can get into that when yeah. you throw it back so, to me. But. So that was just a sorry, that was just a complimentary example again of a situation where you might think there'd be racism having so few black people in hockey and actually that's not the case. It's it's people get along great in the locker room. Go ahead. Uh, you, you know story. you had a story. Well, the story with soccer is just the the horror stories about oh, how European fans treat black or African soccer players in their stadiums. It, and this I mean, is my and this is my argument, and people think I'm crazy. I say as racist as this country is, and a, as racially fucked up as things that we see happening, and how long it took for black people to have even civil rights, and, and the, the history of slavery, and the discrimination, I still think the U.S. is easily the least racist country overall among, uh, if you compare like uh, uh, the U.S. with Europe. I mean, if you've ever been to a European soccer game, or not even a soccer game, but just how black people are, are not only treated badly, but just like ignored and pushed to the side in European societies. I mean, the Spaniards are horrible with this you know the english i I mean let's put it this way when someone throws a banana at a black person in the united states it's a national controversy and like the media spends a week talking about how horrible it is that stuff happens in europe all the time yeah i i mean I, i want to again caution i'm not trying to draw larger assumptions based outside of what my experiences were i just want to say what those experiences have been so i'm not (laughs) go ahead and, and if you're comfortable doing that, more yeah. power to you. I, I don't want to speak, you know, I don't want to draw conclusions about all of Europe based on these incidences, but there have been more than one, which makes me think this is at least an issue. Uh, what I was getting back to with an experience in Oklahoma, yes, there was, and this is a good way to segue into what I wanted to talk about, about how sports has create, created or, or helped spread the idea of thug as a, a racial slur. I love there you. That's a, exactly where I was headed. Go ahead. There was a playoff game I covered where the quarterback for the opposing team was African-American, and he really did behave in a bad manner. He talked a ton of trash. He griped. He pushed and shoved after the whistles were blown. And eventually he hit a referee and was ejected. He was suspended. He lost a scholarship. uh, And he had to actually be escorted off the field by police because he refused to leave and he was belligerent. None of this is acceptable behavior at all. But one of the things that was suggested was that he got agitated because fans or maybe even people on the sidelines of the other team were shouting racial slurs at him. And there are instances in which fans will intentionally do that to provoke athletes. This happened with Marcus Smart, who's now with the Celtics, unless he's gone, uh, at Oklahoma State, where he was at Texas, I think. And a fan started using slurs with him. He pushed him or slugged him and got suspended. And Texas celebrated this guy as a hero for getting the best player on the Oklahoma State team kicked out for a few games. You know, this is a cultural problem that extends well beyond how teams treat each other or or treat or players treat each other in the locker room. You know, of we hold these athletes that they can't react and yet sort of almost encourage fans to be as nasty as they can be in the hopes of you know, getting the player to do something to take himself out of the game. Yeah, I just think, you know, I mean, there's so many factors involved, but the fact that black athletes, other, other than hockey, 
and this includes soccer, actually. Um, mm-hmm. American soccer is getting increasingly African American. Um, it was Texas Tech, excuse me, not Texas, uh, Texas another Tech. conference yeah. rival. Yeah, he shoved yeah. a fan. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. Um, which is that the intro, starting with Jackie Robinson, and then to a certain degree, guys like Jim Brown in football, the intro of black athletes, uh, both stars and side players, was a little bit um, sort of slow and steady. Uh, you know, I mean, if if you look at football teams 30 years ago and now, you can really see a progression of it getting more and more diverse. So I think that helped. Whereas, in, in you know, there was a moment in European soccer where they just started importing all these African players all of a sudden. Like, it never used to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Europe's never really dealt with, with race problems, partially because, you know, they either don't have a lot of people of color or they're immigrants, and you know, and there are a, a lot of groups in these European countries who are as crazy or more crazy than the anti-immigrant groups in this country. So you add the, I mean, let's put it this way: at least we've had to deal with racism over the last hundred and forty years. You know, yeah. Europe's never really had to deal with it, and so people that are saying these things and throwing stuff and so forth, they might have never met or even seen a black person, you know, in person before, Mm -hmm. uh, other than maybe casually on the streets. And certainly there are plenty of places in America, including if you drive 30 minutes west of me and, you know, from out of Philadelphia, the rest of the state, you might as well be in the South. Um, You know, but I, I do think that, as I said, like the military, institutionally sports has become the place for let's be honest true meritocracy right i mean you are only going to succeed if you are good and you apply yourself yeah and some people are overpaid and some people are underpaid some people are in the leagues that shouldn't be and some aren't that should be but for Mm -hmm. the most part it is you know and and this is going to loop back to what i talked about in bizzle cast three which is that it is the ultimate meritocracy and i would love and because of that, they're representative of the country in a lot of ways, the diversity of the sports, and some, even if the proportionality is different. And so I mm-hmm. want to jump into you know, your, um, what, what you were hinting at in terms of using words like thug and so forth, and just race in general, and talk about guys like LeBron, who are completely right. different than Michael Jordan, and Jordan's Although now Jordan is getting involved, but for the most part, Jordan has you know openly stayed out of anything political or you know anything socially controversial. LeBron has done the opposite. I, I personally think LeBron is a hero in terms of the awareness that he's built, not only within the league, but the fact that so many kids of all colors look up to him, and mm-hmm. and, and, and he's spoken about and protested about things like Trayvon Martin in such a mature and complex and nuanced way. I think um, he's really the first since Ali um, to, to to make this a major part of his platform in terms of like you know being the best in the league athletically, but also being the leader you know kind of politically and socially. Yeah, I'd be careful not to discount Arthur Ashe, the very famous African American tennis player. Okay, um, he really spoke out. Uh, he was very passionate about civil rights, and so was Bill Russell, for that matter. Yes. Um, who had I mean, a no, horrible experience in Boston. Yeah, I mean, really, Bill Russell, there's a reason he doesn't like Boston, because we were horrible to him. I mean, yeah. there's a story that while he was playing one night, somebody broke into his house and took a shit on his rug. I mean, Jesus Christ. And this is one of the greatest, a, a great person and one of the best centers to ever play the game, whatever. 
Um, I really like LeBron too. I don't quite understand. I, you know, he's a little cocky, but I think he also backs it up by being one of the best players in the league. Um, in any event, I, I, I would. I think it's less cockiness and more kind of diva ishness. He's a, he's a little bit of a of a diva. I I, I don't think he's. I, I mean, if anything, he's had self esteem or self confidence issues in the past. You know, until he won that first championship. I, you know. I, 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 anyways, go ahead. I I don't know if I I I don't, I'm not yeah. sure. I think LeBron James ever really had uh, confidence issues. Um, I think there was pressure on him after everything with that decision which you know where he made espn basically pay to broadcast what team he was going to and everybody already knew he was going to miami i mean that was a a bad decision he donated all the money to charity he did i still think it was a bad call i i think making a news organization pay to break the news is really problematic let's let's not dwell on something that not only happened in the past but has been remedied many times over by not only coming back to cleveland but going to two championships and winning one Um, that's true no i I, he certainly earned it i and it it was a great marketing move because it raised his profile to the point that you know what he makes in in marketing things and sponsorships rivals jordan um Mm -hmm. So, I, whatever. I mean, I, I like LeBron a lot. Um, well, but I want to get back to your, you know, the, 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 something that you brought up a lot, this notion of, of thug, thuggery yeah. or whatever. Now, my, my, when we discussed this, my point I was trying to make to you was that I think it actually goes back to hip-hop culture and then was applied to sports. I'd agree. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, no, I mean – you sent me an article about how this has been a thing where thug has become a racist word over the last about 20 years, 25 years even, you know, maybe even as deep back as the 80s. My, in my opinion, the use of the word thug to describe a specific type of athlete persona is newer. I really think that's taken off in like the last, I would say probably eight to 10 years, you know, in the about the post Iverson, perhaps. Yeah, post Iverson, um, yeah. and I see it more with football than with basketball. Although I certainly see it with basketball. Um, you know when? Um, oh crud! I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. The guy from Seattle Seahawks. He is a cornerback. Uh, he made that great interception the year Seattle won. Oh, um, um, with the with the dreadlocks. Um, yeah, who is a, a Stanford graduate? So clearly yeah. a very intelligent guy. But yeah, he he's off, a misunderstood guy, I think. Yeah, well, he went off on this little Richard Sherman, I believe. Richard Sherman, name. that's correct. He went off on this little tirade right after he had made an amazing play and was probably had adrenaline shooting out of his ears about how awesome he felt to make this big play, and people started calling him a thug because he was cocky and he showed personality. Um, you know, there is nothing inherently racist to that word. Honestly, when you say that word to me, the image comes into my head of a sort of cartoonishly fat white guy. Um, I don't know where that image comes from, but I would imagine it has something to do with the Godfather, which I saw when I was 15 or so. Yeah. Um, but now you don't see this as much in basketball though. I mean, Iverson was called a thug Yeah, and and you've got guys like Ron Artest who are just psychopaths. Ron, but, yeah, Ron Artest went into the stands and started yeah. beating somebody up, and he but, has like actual rage control yes. issues. Yes, That's but different. I think, but I think the fact that it is 
really a black league through and through, including coaches, um, really everything but owners, which is maybe we'll get back to that. Um, but even the people that cover basketball, that write about it, that do the TV stuff, that do the radio stuff, a lot right. of black people. So you're just not going to hear it as much. Whereas football, with all of its black players, is almost all white coaches, all white announcers, all white people writing about I mean, it's changing a and little on ESPN. Fans. That, yeah, that's- and white fans was, was what I was leading to. Go ahead, yeah. That's where I really think the problem is, is that, or or why this is happening is, you have a league that is increasingly getting dominated by black players at every position except quarterback. And if you wonder why I think quarterback is so exalted, I do think the race thing actually is still part of it. Um, and so what you have is all these fans who have a preconceived notion of how a football player should behave and maybe have some racial assumptions about how white people act versus how black people act. This is, I don't have evidence of this, but that's kind of my hunch. And so then when you have a player who is not the same race as the fans acting in a way that they don't think is appropriate, they start using a word like thug. And it is often spoken almost all the time by white people describing black athletes. And it's a lot of times spoken with all of the hatred that you would get in using an actual racial slur, like a, like the N-word or, or any word that is a traditionally racist word. Yeah. And so when you use a word with all of the hatred of a racial slur and you're using it to describe somebody of a race that's not your own, it is a slur in itself. Yep. We have turned the word thug in the context of sports into a surrogate curse word that we use instead of the N-word that I think a lot of people probably want to use. And in, an in, in one instance, I was at a party – And we started talking about um, James Harrison, who is a very violent, aggressive football player. And somebody actually did describe him with the N-word. It made me super-duper uncomfortable. Sure. Um, But that's another player that people call a thug. Now, when he does photo shoots where he's holding guns, that doesn't help his case. But whatever. Um, Uh, Interestingly, there was a study done a year or two ago. You might have seen this. Uh, where they studied uh, the number of arrests in the three big sports, basketball, football, and baseball. Right. And basketball, far and away, from a percentage standpoint, had the least arrests. Football had the most, baseball was second, and then basketball. And so basketball being the blackest league, having the fewest arrests, if anyone's thugs, it's football players, black or white. Yeah, um, no, I agree. Yeah, in fact, I, I try and go out of my way to refer to white people, you know, uh, white, like, uh, half-jokingly, but, like, you know, my commentaries and stuff, I'll refer to white people as thugs, you know, it's like, <laughs> you, you gotta... D- just to see how they like it? Just to see how they like it, yeah, I'll screw all you white people out there. Right. Um, <laughs> but, do you know what I'm saying? Like, we, me and you cannot help reclaim the N-word. That That's not no, up to us. and I don't us. want to. And you don't I, want I, to. Right, but I'm, but I'm saying it's not up to us either way. But thug is a word that we can, you know, try and d- diffuse a little bit, I think, by applying it to everyone uh, equally. It does go back to hip-hop. I mean, if you've seen Straight Outta Compton, you know, the, I mean, th- those guys and what they did on and off stage, I, I mean, w- was constantly being referred to and, and written about and so forth as, as right. thuggish. And eventually you had rappers, you know, calling themselves that you know of thug life and things like that that became its own thing Um, so so here's here's a specific question for you right 
so we're un- sadly well we won't get into politics but sadly from my perspective the obama administration is coming to a close mm-hmm. i happen to be a big fan lebron james has been a huge supporter of of obama both in terms of fundraising and just generally in terms of initiatives and stuff like that sure so obama 2008 elected president lebron james came into the league i think in 2003 i want to say yeah, yeah, something like that. I think it yeah, was my sophomore year in college. So, so it was uh, 2003, and then five years later, we get a black president. And then during this black president's, um, you know, rule or whatever his reign, we start getting not more police violence, just more recorded police violence because of of a combination of technology and social media. Yeah, and then you have LeBron James with Trayvon Martin being sort of the first of, of all of these incidents in terms of its coverage, right? You know, stepping out and, and talking about this stuff. Um, is it just a coincidence that we have a, a black president who talks about this stuff openly and probably the most famous athlete on the well, I just not on the planet, most famous athlete in in, in this country at least. Um, feeling more empowered um you know like for example if we had a republican president or or just a more conservative situation going on or is it just just a coincidence that happens to be the right player with the right time in terms of social media and technology if that makes sense um because it wouldn't let's put it this way if trayvon martin had happened in 1980 and there was Mm -hmm. a grainy video you know, would Magic Johnson have done something? I mean, would he have even know how to talk about it in the state that our our country was in in 1980? Like, like we we've obviously progressed to a point. I guess is what I'm saying, um, as represented by the president, is as represented by LeBron being able to to speak out. Um, right. And so, do you think this is a trend that we're going to see more of going forward? That that. Uh, you know, LeBron will influence uh, other other athletes after him in, in all sports to speak out about this stuff, or is he just sort of a, a singular example of of just a great guy um, and someone who's very brave and, and willing to risk his image uh, to talk about these things? Sorry, that was a long question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in a perfect world, I would hope these incidents stop happening, and so we don't need somebody to necessarily be doing right. this all the time. Right. I don't think that's, you know, very likely. No. Um, very unlikely. You know, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I feel like, yes, probably he does feel a little bit more empowered and a little bit safer to speak out because he sees Obama's presidency as a sign that, you know, r- racial tensions in this country are, are changing or race relations are changing. Um, you know, he wasn't the only one. When Trayvon Martin happened, I remember that that everybody on the on the uh, uh, everybody the on the Heat, yeah, showed up to a, a photo shoot wearing hoodies, mm-hmm. and that made a big splash. And people asked them why they did that, and um, Dwayne Wade said the the thing my son, who's fifteen or whatever, wanted for Christmas this year was a hoodie, and so there was very much, I think, a recognition uh, that. In the wrong situation, any one of these athletes could be Trayvon Martin or mm-hmm. Eric Garner. You know, if they're in a place where they're not recognized, they could absolutely uh, this could happen to them or could happen to one of their kids. Um, that was a column that I wrote when uh, the St. Louis Rams, uh, after uh, uh, the shooting in St. Louis, uh, Michael Brown, right? Um, yep. 
when that happened, they all walked out in, uh, with their hands up to a game, mm-hmm. at a Rams game. And the NFL didn't do anything about it. And I thought that was to their credit. Yep. Fans called them cowards, you know, the NFL cowards for not coming down on this hate speech and, and, and not chastising his players. I wrote a column saying, look, I think all these people kind of realize that in the wrong situation, if they weren't recognizable black people, they're just big, scary looking guys who are all, you know, six, eight, 150 pounds, you know, 250 pounds. They're, they're afraid they would look menacing and that they might be subject to some kind of police act and the NFL, which is run by white people. It would look really bad for them to then chastise black players for criticizing the shoot for protesting the shooting of black people by white people. Um, so they, you know, it was a marketing thing a little bit too. I think there is some merit to that argument. Well, and, and also it should sorry it should be noted that despite his flaws, David Stern and now with Adam Silver, you have yeah. two really socially liberal Jews essentially as the commissioners. Yeah. So you know Stern was never going to punish people for speaking out. In fact, I believe he voiced support for it at the time. That was yeah. pre, pre and now I mean Adam Silver is even younger and more liberal than than Stern is. He, yeah. the, the players love him. So, at least so far it seems like the NBA players Yeah, so love far Silver. he's been a big hit. I mean, he really led the way with getting Don um with getting Sterling, Sterling oh, out yeah. of the NBA. I mean, he yep. there was no you know, he's one of us nonsense. It was no, there's no place for this crap in our, uh, in our league. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess, you know, uh, you point out Arthur Ashe, you got Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown is another one historically. Um, Bill Russell, um, Jackie Robinson, just by his actions. Of course. Um, Um, and, uh, who else? I mean, football really hasn't had any, um, you I don't know, know if that's true. I, I uh, think I think uh, this is going to sound weird, but if we can get more black quarterbacks as like top quarterbacks in the league, and they conduct themselves well, more like Russell Wilson kind of style, mm-hmm. and they win Super Bowls, the quarterback is people say is the is the hardest and most important position in sports. Yep, but it's also the most important socially, because if you're Peyton Manning, you can literally do anything. I mean, you know, Peyton Manning could drive his car off a cliff drunk and survive. And, you know, I mean, he could smack – he did smack a, a woman, right? And he got he got I mean, off for it. Well, apparently he might have teabagged a girl in college, a trainer or something. I mean, yes, uh, he can get away with a lot. But Tom Brady got yeah. royally screwed right. for something I'm still not convinced actually okay. happened. Okay, but. okay. We can talk to Flake in a sec. Just let me let's just finish <laughs> this, this thought, which is – what I'm saying is, by having, and I was hoping this would happen with Robert Griffin, that's not the case. I was hoping this would happen with Cam Newton, just in terms of his attitude, not really right. the case. But if we can get more um, Russell Wilsons, if we get more Doug Williams, is that his name? Who won the, Who won with the Redskins, the one black quarterback before? Uh, I think that's I think right. It was Doug Williams, you know. Um, again, we used to think McNabb was this guy. Now he kind of seems like an asshole. Um, Vic, interestingly, a post-jail, <laughs> seems to have turned himself around, but still yeah. he went to jail. Point being, if, if, if black people can start taking over the quarterback position and be good model citizens and, and you know, at least uh, partial role models, that in itself will, will be a huge uh, a sea change. Because that, that's, right, it, isn't that the one sort of hump that hasn't been completely crossed yet in sports from a racial standpoint 
Um, is the quarterback position? Probably, yeah. Um, okay, so really quick, because I, I think youth sports will be a good way to end, and then we're gonna do uh, super. We're gonna do athletes as superheroes um, <laughs> to, to finish this one off. Just to lighten the tone a little bit. This has been heavy stuff, and hopefully I haven't sounded like I'm talking out of my ass too much. No, 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 no. If I am misinformed, listeners, feel free to contact me and explain where I was wrong, and I'll admit that I'm wrong, you know. Yeah. So, um, okay. Oh, I I also want to talk soccer real quick. So let's let's run through Deflategate quick. Do, Do you have any thoughts that are new or different that hasn't been said a million times about this? I mean, my personal viewpoint is that... It may have been cheating, but it's such a small level of it that it clearly doesn't warrant all the money and time and just brain power that's been wasted on this thing. And is just you know the fact that Goodell seems to have a thing against the the Patriots in general. Um, yeah, go ahead. My general opinion is that if there's no written record of what the PSI was before the game started, there's no way to prove that the PSI didn't deflate naturally because it was cold out. Um, at but, this point... But, but, but hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. But, but Brady did not do a good job of defending himself. Not at all. Um, that was, there were things that were mishandled uh, at the same time. Like you know, he, knew, I, he knew it had happened even if he didn't order it, I think is what happened. I don't, I don't know if he did or he didn't. I, they can tell how, much, how full the football is once they get it in their hands, but go ahead. Yeah, I get. I mean, who knows? The text messages that I read all said I want it at 12.5, and then it was sort of just assumed that what the, the unsaid thing is, is but, but secretly lower it. I, I don't really know. I, I don't really care at this point. Um, but it does show it's just the NFL how, how Players yeah. Association's fault. When yeah. they negotiated their last collective bargaining agreement, they gave Goodell the ability to assign arbitration and issue punishment. And maybe they never thought... Yep. that uh, he would use it this way, but buyer's remorse is not a justification. Yeah. They weakened their stance. I'm assuming they get some kind of better health deal or something like that, something for concussion care or s- drug testing or something, and they're going to be fucked on their next collective bargaining agreement because it's a lot harder to convince Goodell to give something up than it is to give it to him. You know, If he didn't have it and he wants it, you can just say no getting him to give up arbitration power when it ultimately worked in his favor because, you know, the district court did ultimately say, yeah, he was within his rights to do this. You know, I, I think the NFLPA is going to be in a little bit of trouble. I think their union came out weaker in their last bargaining agreement. And if I'm DeMaurice Smith, it's kind of a problem, you know? Um, the, the only thing I'll say about this, and this is an obvious point, is that you give Brady four games for deflating a football you get, but then you give guys who do PEDs four, four games, and then you give Ray Rice six games for beating a woman. I mean, it just their priorities are completely out of whack. And there was this kicker that was just suspended for one game, despite instances of like twenty different times that he apparently hit or 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 hurt his girlfriend, wife, whatever it was. So the NFLPA is still really, really blind to why domestic abuse should be taken more seriously. Yep. And I have a friend, a woman, who is a big NFL fan. Um, she you know, comes from Wisconsin. She went to the university there where, high school fo- where college football is really, really, really popular. And she's told me she's really become disinterested in the NFL because of how it's handled things like Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson. And you know, she told me this before this kicker incident happened, but Greg Hardy, um, who 
strangled his his girlfriend onto a on a pile of guns and threatened to kill her. I mean, unbelievable. They are ultimately losing fans, and I'm worried they're losing fans from our generation, from the millennial generation, or or whatever we are, because they are not realizing how much people find this kind of shit distasteful now. Right, and baseball is losing pe- people from our generation for completely different reasons. Because it's boring. Because it's slow, it takes too long, and it's just one of those sports you have to grow up with, you know? Like, I love baseball, but I, you know, my parents indoctrinated me at an extremely young age. Yeah, and I think I think the problem with the N- N- MLB also is that it's too mired in its own past, and it doesn't celebrate its present nearly enough. Like, yes. I was listening to a sports radio call- station in Oklahoma one day, and somebody was asking a former baseball player why the sport isn't popular and he he was talking about how he remembers watching a game and like willie mays and some other really famous old baseball player were both there and he said man how cool would it be to have a a full um to have a a commercial for their major league baseball where they're just talking about how how great baseball is and i remember thinking that sounds like the most boring uninteresting uh ad you could possibly do i want an ad where you know, David Ortiz or I want or Steven Strasburg or a modern star talks about how great Major League Baseball is. Or how about Bryce Harper, who's super yeah. charismatic, but every time he tries to show personality, the old guard comes down on him. Or yeah. e- even even freaking Yasiel Puig, who I know has some attitude issues, but like, sure. you know, like he's exciting. He, these these young players, like let them be themselves, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's like, but it, the thing is, it's not even consistent because the old guard is totally fine with the whole hit someone and then get prepared for the benches to clear for a brawl, right? Right. I mean, th- you'd think the old guard w- would be against that. No, that's considered normal. But if you run the bases a little too slowly or point in the air when you hit a far home run, you're like the worst person in the world. I, yeah. I t- yeah. The hatred people feel towards Jose Batista is ridiculous. And I. I can't help but wonder if it isn't partially racially based, or Wait, I don't Bautista? know. Jose Bautista is a guy from the uh, Toronto? Toronto Blue Jays, one of the best yeah. home run hitters in the league. I didn't and know there was he, an issue. Yeah, he will show up pitchers a little bit. He will glory in his home runs. He will trot a little slowly, and he will flip his bat. Yep. And I have read some really, really, really angry columns calling him out for violating unspoken rules of baseball. This guy should be front and center promoting yes. this league as yes. one of its stars because he is – what he hits is exciting. He, he plays an exciting brand of baseball in a sport that desperately needs excitement. But we don't allow him to be exciting because we think it's rude to revel in something that's really fucking hard to do. Um, okay. Well, this is a good transition. trying to hit a home run, yeah. it's hard yeah. as hell. It's really yeah. hard. Well, it, it, look, there's an art to it. Like when Ryan Howard uh, hits a home run – he drops his bat and he stares at it for a second. But so does David Ortiz, yeah. Right. But part of that is because they know it's either going to be a home run or an out. So they wait a second, and then as soon as he thinks it might go out, he starts running as hard as he can, being an old crippled guy. You right. know? But, but it, I think it's, you know, like, there are ways to do it, but... Uh, you know, you, you don't want to walk around the bases. Like there are some respect things. I, I totally get. Do you remember when A Rod during the pl- I think during the playoffs he got out at first 
and instead of going around the long way back to the dugout on the third base side, just ran over the pitcher's mound or something like that. <laughs> I think I do remember something about that. I think it was that. against the Red Sox. I, I can't remember. And it was like such a huge thing. It was, and I remember, too, being offended on first blush. Like, oh, my God, everyone knows you're not supposed to do that, you know? But right. then you're like, eh, really? You know? I mean, it, 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 traditionalism is certainly a strength and weakness of baseball, as you pointed out. And here we'll trans- uh, transition to youth sports and soccer, and then we'll close it out. As you pointed out, MLB made $9.5 billion in 2015, which is a lot of money, and it keeps going up, mostly from local cable deals and, and advertising and so forth. Um, but youth participation is down in both football and baseball. We covered yeah. some of that. But one sport that is up in youth participation regularly for the last 20 years is soccer. Yeah, Even soccer, point, lacrosse is growing yeah. really fast. But soccer is the one that, you know, that needs to grow because that's the one that the rest of the world cares about, right? Yes. I mean, that, that, that's how we – I feel like the U.S. won't really be a true, you know, member of the rest of the world until we could compete – like truly compete for a World Cup title. And it's happening, man. I, I mean, I, I talked to you about this. Bizzlecast listeners, I do a lot of tutoring and, 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 and mentoring uh, in like inner city Philadelphia. And I, I can't believe how many young people – black boys and girls love playing soccer you wouldn't think it you know that they would just say football or, or basketball and they do like those sports but they love playing soccer mm-hmm. and so, so you add you know you add more people of color specifically black people or really all inner city you know white or black getting interested in soccer mm-hmm. and then you add all the immigrants who are naturalizing and so forth right. um in the last couple decades I mean, we're getting to a point where we have those mixes that, like, you, France has. Like, if you look at the French soccer team in the last 20 years, there's almost no pure white people on it. Mm-hmm. It's like Berbers and, and, you know, black people born in France and black people born in various parts of Africa. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's whatever most people Whatever Thierry is, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zidane, you know, was a Berber from uh, Morocco or Algeria initially. Um, Zidane, really? Yeah, yeah, Zidane's a Berber. I know that. Cool. And that's why he's such a crazy name. And um, you know, and so it'll be interesting to see if the American team of the future is mostly people of color. You can already kind of see it if you just look at the the, the recent tournament, uh, the America's Cup tournament, which they didn't win, but you know, you could see that the color. If you look at the local MLS teams, there, there's a lot of color there. Um, soccer definitely is growing, as many have pointed out. You know, the ratings go way up during the World Cup and the and the Euro Cup, and don't necessarily carry over, at least TV wise, to MLS or like right. smaller tournaments and so forth. I think that this is going to be one of those slow build revolutions that, but but at, at some point will hit like a singularity. You know, mm-hmm. like like but slow, 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 and at some point, all of a sudden, it, it's going to be just that popular, and it's going to be a combination of football. Um, not going down, but you know maybe peaking. Uh, uh, baseball certainly uh, losing favor in, in the national audience, uh, not the local audience. As you said, hockey really has nowhere to go. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, wh- where would you put the sort of timeline of soccer going into the future when we hit? Like, when do you think we're going to hit that point where, where it becomes one of the most important sports in, in this country, an important priority from from kids all the way through professional? Honestly, yeah, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Really, I, don't, I do not think soccer is ever going to really in the U.S. is ever going to rival the uh, the big four sports. I don't think the U.S. is ever going to have a World Cup team that really is top tier. 
they keep pretending these teams that we have are top tier teams. They're not. We are maybe the best second tier team in the in the world. Maybe, maybe not even that. And until we start convincing the best athletes in this country to play soccer, I just don't see it happening. And I don't see that happening. I think, you know, for one, to the make money playing pro soccer to really make the big bucks, you can't play in the MLS. And right. you also that is. I mean, the MLS is not a good league. It's just that soccer is inferior to all of the Brit, the English, the European leagues. It's worse than La Liga. It's worse than uh, the EPL. It's worse than League One. It's worse than Serie A. You know, none uh, or Bundesliga. None of the which Ameri- get huge ratings locally. Uh, uh, na- national, I mean, when they show MLS Premier- gets okay ratings. No, 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 no. When, when, yeah. when Fox broadcasts the Premier League game, they get amazing ratings. Yeah, those meaning, are pop- meaning interest is going it is going up. I mean, it's it, you can see it in the. I mean, the women's the uh, the the women's World Cup final game uh, when they won, but like six to nothing or six to one or whatever it was, six to two was the high was you know beat a, a ton of American sporting events that you would not think. Yeah, um, and it had had like twenty five million viewers at, at at its peak or something like that. Yeah, go ahead. It did, and for doing all of that, they made about a tenth of what the men's team made. I mean. Uh, you know, the women's soccer, I, I love the way it was covered, but it's not the same. It's just, it isn't. I, so I think soccer is going to always be a popular participation sport in the U S I just don't know, uh, if it's ever really going to have the spectator, uh, popularity of maybe it could someday beat hockey. I just don't ever see it rivaling football in terms of popularity on the national level. I mean, you look at ESPN, they show more European soccer highlights than they show MLS highlights. Um, yeah, I just I don't think the MLS is indicative of the popularity of soccer going forward because it's no, so it's easy. not. But I think as long as the American National Soccer League is inferior, it's going to badly hurt. Okay, you know, popularity you know, of the sport. In you this know country. what other you know what other National Soccer League is really not that good? Brazil. That's and true. And Brazil has won many World Cups, and they have some had. Are arguably like maybe five or or seven of the best 20 players in the history of soccer. That's true. So I don't really care about the MLS. I, I think people's interest in these other leagues, but mostly international soccer. I mean, the the big step is, I, I'm thinking the exact opposite as you, Matt. Matt. I, it, I'm less concerned with bringing talent here as sending Americans overseas to play in the big leagues. I mean, let's put it this which way. Which we are doing. I mean, which we, we are we, doing, but we don't have anyone playing for Barcelona. We don't have no. anyone starting for for Real Madrid. For the most part, the Manchester teams, not so much. But if we start, if if the you know, let's say the eleven starters on the let's see, when's the next World Cup? Twenty eight, twenty eighteen. Yeah. So let's say in twenty twenty two, okay, two World Cups from now, twenty twenty two. If all eleven of our players are on top ten teams in England or France or Germany or Netherlands or uh, Spain. Like right. that—that's what I'm would be aiming for personally. If I'm building the U.S. soccer program, screw the MLS. Let's get our best players and send them overseas, and then you know we'll go from being the 22nd best team in the world to maybe the 12th best team in the world. And if you can get to the being the 12th best team in the world, you really have a shot of winning the whole thing. Go ahead. Maybe the problem I see is one: when you're young and you are so talented that you really can start thinking about being a professional athlete. 
some of the factors you have to take into consideration are where can I make the most money, obviously. Um, and even if you play for like, unless you're like Neymar or Messi, the money you could make playing baseball or soccer or basketball or, or football or basketball is probably greater. And you have to ask, do I really want to play my entire career in another country where maybe I don't speak that language? Everyone where does, it would be- though. Everyone from the entire world wants to play in England or Spain. Yeah. But if you're an American athlete and there are these other great sports that have these high-paying, amazing leagues that are the best in the world. I mean, the NBA is the best basketball league in the world. Major League Baseball is the best baseball league in the world, and that includes the Nipponese Baseball League, the Japan League, which is fantastic. But here, um, here's, a, here's a third scenario, which is – you know they've experimented with bringing guys like Thierry Henry and Beckham over here to increase interest, but they were way at the end of their pr- they're beyond exactly. their prime. But 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 if we can start getting Americans as starters on major European teams that people in this country are watching and following, then all of a sudden you have all these American billionaires who are like, wow, well why don't I pay? Um, you know, well, Clint Dempsey's already at the end of his prime, but like, you know, why not? Like, l- l- let me just paint a scenario. So you're a 22 year old, you go and you play in Barcelona until you're 29, and yep. then some American billionaire who owns the, you know, the Portland uh, Timber Blazers or whatever the hell they're called, uh, it says, so hey, here's $200 million to come back and play for Portland while you're still in, you know, your prime. I mean, I could totally see it, but it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's like getting, it's like getting cred in music. Like they need to get cred overseas. They need to get skills. And then maybe some American billionaires can start luring them back before the end of the prime. And that's how I can see the MLS succeeding. Um, but if, if it just serves as sort of a double a affiliate essentially, and we're still sending our best players over, I would be totally cool with that scenario. I love soccer. I love watching soccer there's no doubt that the best premier league and and uh la liga in spain uh, are, are far superior to america or even other international leagues i personally you know for me the world cup and in the euro cup are two tournaments uh, are, are really let me say this they're the only two sports tournament international sports tournaments that uh, or any tournaments that i i will watch as many games as possible of i mean mm-hmm. even baseball you know depending on the matchups and depending on my time i may or may not watch a lot of baseball playoffs but when, when the world cup or comes around i am dvring like crazy i'm you know trying to watch as many games as possible and yes part of that is the olympic thing of just the whole world competing against each other um but i do think it is a, a beautiful game and i played up i grew up playing two soccer in two soccer leagues that was my sport you know like i love playing soccer i was pretty good at it and uh and so you know maybe i'm biased in that sense um i just love that you have 45 plus straight minutes with no commercials and no breaks and then you got another 45 minutes plus with no commercials and no breaks and if you really get lucky and there's extra time you get an extra half hour of, of no commercials, no breaks. And and honestly, I can barely watch football and basketball games because of how many fucking commercial breaks there are. Yeah. And that's why they have to wear, you know, in, in Europe, that's exactly why they have to wear advertisements on their clothing because they can't get that ad money via TV and, and radio ads because there just isn't that much time, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. Um, I like soccer. Uh, I will not... I watch some World Cup. I don't seek it out as aggressively as you do. 
Um, yes, I, I think soccer is like the perfect length for a sporting event. Very yep. few breaks. Two hours I, and you're done, really. Yeah, yeah. like a 10-minute halftime show at best, which I love. Um, the NHL is pretty good about not breaking yes. too much. Um, it's funny. Different sports, I think, are better viewed on TV or live. Baseball is a great sport to watch live. It's kind of boring to watch on TV. Football is much better on TV because because it's so hard to see. Like if you go to a – I've been to Gillette a few times where the Patriots play. If you're up close, it's cool. If you're up in the high parts of the bleachers, you can barely see what's going on and – the uh, crowd is probably nasty and it's cold because it's November and it's Boston and it's New England. And it's what was the point of this? You spent a ton of money. You could have just, you know, spent the money on your monthly cable bill and just watch the damn thing on TV. Uh, hockey is more fun live because hockey fans get really exuberant. Yeah. Um, well, really quick, just really quick, just jump back to that. The Patriots and the Eagles are two of the only teams in the league that sell out all their games. I mean, there are a lot of second-tier cities in, in this country who have football teams and they cancel out their games because Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, I, but no, but even even ones you wouldn't expect. Like I can't, I can't think of them. like like the Forty ers didn't sell out a couple games, and like you know, like it it, it is such a, a superior experience on TV, especially when you live in the Midwest or the Northeast with with the temperatures in November, December, January, and February. Right? I mean, who the fuck wants to do that? I agree with you. I think hockey's better live, baseball better live, soccer is pretty much better live, football way better not live, basketball I don't know. Well, I think it's better not live basketball better on TV. What do you think? I um I've had a good time at, at live games and I've had a good time at watching it on TV. Basketball I think gets the spectacle of itself yes. a lot better than any other sport does. It's why the NBA All Star Weekend is you know, just dunking and shooting three pointers and playing horse. And the game itself is 160 to 150 and nobody plays defense. They kind of get that side of it and they, they promote that the best. So I always feel like basketball games, there's kind of a, a sense of fun. The heaviness of football bothers me, you know, where everything is epic and, and, you know, and you get less of that watching it, just drinking a beer with your friends on TV. And I like that. Bas- baseball is very kind of relaxed and fun. It's summer. Yep. It's warm. It's the sun is up late, and uh, and you also when you watch baseball live, you gain an appreciation for how hard even routine plays are. Like yep. a ground out to second base doesn't seem like anything the way it's shot on TV. It is really hard to field every grounder hit in the second base area in live time you realize how little reaction time you actually have and it makes you appreciate that position a lot more yep i mean just really quickly and then i want to wrap up with the superhero uh thing uh which is that so um you probably know this but let me i'll quiz you so of hockey basketball baseball and football if you had to go from youngest demographic to oldest demographic how would you think it would be ranked in terms of who watches it in terms of the average demographic of who's watching the, the, the four major sports. I've heard basketball is the youngest demographic. Yep. Uh, by far and away, yep. young people like basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, older, I'm going to assume, is either baseball or football. And I'm Baseball is the gonna, oldest by Yeah, far. I would go with baseball yep. um, and then football and then hockey. 
Yeah, hockey is a younger demographic actually than football. Um, hockey is pretty popular among among the kids. Uh, football is just has so many watchers of all ages that yeah. you know you just throw out demographics, yeah. both, including men, women, so forth. Um, and yeah, and baseball's for old geezers and and me and you, I guess. Um, but uh, oh, and it that's could the be other for thing. younger people if yeah. it would embrace its younger yes. stars. But yeah. when and I still see tons of kids at the games. Honestly, I sure. still see. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I just feel like when you're so mired in the past, where everything you want to talk about is Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and all these great players who were great players. But each subsequent generation has less of an emotional connection to those people than the last. And so if you don't do anything to promote the current product, you're ultimately fucked, basically. Yeah, yeah. And just to, just to, to finish the thought that, that I, I forgot to finish before, soccer also has a really young demographic. Oh, yeah. And it also has a very a female-heavy demographic because of the success of women's. I mean, the U.S. invented women's soccer, essentially. I mean, there weren't that many countries outside of England and the U.S. and Canada that had any, any real women's soccer before, I don't know, 20 to 30 years ago. And so you have women getting really into men's soccer, but you also have a large number of men watching, like, the women's world cup which is really cool you know i mean whoever sure. thought that was gonna happen so all right man well this is great um i was thinking about like talking to my dad about this last night um it would be cool maybe like three times a year or something important times to to revisit sports sure um or, or certainly if like major you know ethical moral you know issue political issues come up like that so we can we can think about that for the future um and so uh bizzlecast listeners matt um had, had a blog post had a blog post from what a couple of years ago where a long he, time ago probably about five years now yeah two, 2011 where he talks about you know if which superhero uh which superheroes would make super athletes right yeah and so um i'd love for you to just run through the ones that you have and we'll see if there's a couple more that, that we can add uh that have like come out since then or whatever go ahead Sure. So I'll give you a couple of the better ones. Uh, yeah. I thought Batman would be a good football coach because Batman is basically the Bill Belichick of the DC universe. You know, brilliant, but doesn't really care. You know, believes the ends justify the means, probably engages in stuff that crosses the line from competitive to illegal. Uh, you know, so I, I think that's the perfect one there. The Flash mm -hmm. obviously would be a running back. Um, <laughs> Green Arrow should be a quarterback. Uh, Green Plastic Man, who is an elastic guy, would make a good defensive infielder in baseball. Aquaman yeah. should be a water boy because he sucks at everything. Um, Lex Luthor is, would be a good NFL owner because he's very rich and doesn't really care at all about what happens to his employees. <sighs> and this joke isn't as funny now, but you have to remember what this team was like about five years ago. The Joker would be an excellent member of the Cincinnati Bengals because you never know what he's going to do, but someone's probably going to end up dead because of it. He's like Andy Dalton. Yeah, yeah, uh, Dalton <laughs> or Adam Pacman Jones, who just uh, – if you want a good time, just Wikipedia Adam Pacman Jones's arrest record. I, it's just an amazing you know, catastrophe. The one that you wrote – I don't think you mentioned this yet – the one that you wrote as just a quick joke at the end of the time, long before we knew about the DCEU and the Justice League movies and so forth. Right. You have Aquaman as Waterboy. Yep. Which is a cheap joke, but 
<laughs> but now that we see how horrible it looks like it's going to be, you know, it, that's totally what the the movie is going to be the Waterboy equivalent of a movie, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you put him on the Brett Bass Pro Shops fishing tour, he would wreck that shit. I mean, he would set every record. He would blow everybody away. He would be the Katie Ledecky of professional fishing. <laughs> but I don't think his skill set necessarily applies to anything else, and nobody likes him. Yeah, yeah, that's really funny. Um, so, all right, man, this is great. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so, right, so the baseball season's, you know, heading towards its final stretch, and we got the other three big sports coming up. Um, if you could make one – I'll finish with this question. If you could make one major change – uh, as radical as it, as you want in any sport, what would it be? I think Ooh. I know what it's going to be. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it, then I'll go with the one I think it is. I, I would actually like to see baseball shorten yeah. to seven innings. Yeah. I have covered high school ball is seven, college and pro is nine. I really think nine hours is just too damn long for baseball. I you think realize seven- you're putting out of business, uh, out of work, like hundreds of relief pitchers. <laughs> yes. And I'd also be – the theory with the nine innings is then at least everybody gets three at-bats. If you do seven innings, conceivably some guys will only get three, two at-bats, and that's kind of messed up. Everybody should get a chance to hit the same amount, at least in theory. I get all that. I just think baseball is too long and shortening – and they're never going to do this, but shortening it to seven innings would keep my attention a little bit longer because once we get to that eighth inning – you know, when you're at the seven-inning game – once you get to like the fifth inning, you start feel you get a second win. Like, oh, this is almost over. There's only like nine more outs in this whole game tops. When you hit the fifth inning in a nine inning game, you're like, oh my god, there's another half a game I have to watch. <laughs> um, yeah, I could I could see a middle ground where like if it's a one if it's a one run game or something in the seventh, you keep playing out to the yeah ninth. maybe. But if if the team's up by two or three runs or something, you could call it you could call it in the seventh. Yeah, but, a mercy rule would be okay. There's mercy rules in in high school I ball know. that that's but great. Man, you know, a, a bottom of the seventh comeback at the end of the game is just not as cool as a bottom of the ninth comeback. I think there's tons of ways to shorten the game that doesn't don't involve getting rid of innings personally i think that's a lack of creativity by the league to not be able to, to shorten breaks and get the pitchers throw in more quickly and so forth 100 percent agree this is a, a, a pipe dream fantasy completely impractical never going to happen i'm not even sure i really would want to see it happen in real life but it's an observation i've had that i enjoy seven innings of baseball and then i start to get kind of tired out Absolutely. Um, all right, man. So, uh, final question: Have you stayed away from Suicide Squad? Still, I have stayed away. I yes, have just, me too. I uh, at your uh, bequest, I saw Sausage Party, which I oh, liked. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't love it, but I enjoyed yeah. it. And uh, I am going to see Kubo and the Two Strings sometime later this week, which I'm looking forward to. Well, I am um, seeing tonight Hell or High Water with my dad, which is an extremely well-reviewed Western starring Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and Jeff Bridges, um, which I'm very excited about. I've heard this about. is really good. Um, my friends who do a movie yeah. podcast reviewed it and seem to really like it. So Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm pumped for it. So I'll let you know about that, and we'll have you back on soon. And Bizzlecasters, thanks for listening. Don't take sports too seriously. It's just a game, people. Totally. All right, Bizzlecast listeners, you guys rock like early 90s grunge. We'll catch you on the next Bizzlecast. Peace.